Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Come and grab your seats. Um, just by way of an explanation, um, I'm suffering a bit at the moment with a coldy thing that came on yesterday, and as the male of the species, it's slightly more virulent. And so if I cough, splutter, have to blow my nose or take a drink, just bear with me on that. Now, um, we've, uh, we're in Joshua, so if you've got a Bible, you can go to Joshua chapter 23. We've almost finished it. We've almost made it to the promised land. We started this series back in like September 2017, and we've been going through, we want to be faithful to God's Word, preach it all. So we've gone through the book of Joshua. I'm going to handle chapter 23 this week. We've got two-week break, then Jeremy, when you come back, we'll finish out, round out the book of Joshua, look at chapter 24, and then we will be done with Joshua. And then moving into the new term in the autumn, we're going to go to Philippians. If you want to have a little start reading of that, joy, 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 we'll be looking at in Philippians. And then I'm thinking maybe after the new year, 2019, we'll spend some time in the Psalms, but don't hold me to that, but that's what I'm thinking of. But definitely Philippians. Um, when we finished with Joshua. Now, as my wife Melanie said just a moment ago, um, this week we spent some time with the teenagers at New Day and kind of been hanging out with them. And as I'm, as I'm down with the kids, I connect with them very well and they kind of accept me as one of their own because um, I blend quite well with them, which is great. So I've been learning lots from them. And one of the things that's kind of come up that I've been thinking about is, you know, um, when you communicate into, in a subculture, there's slang and lingo that kind of is associated with this. And the modern culture now, a lot of it is uh, digital messaging one another, communicating via the phones, they're glued to their phones and they're... Tup, tup, tup. You know, he's just over there. You could talk to him. No, no, but I need to message them. And within that, there's all those, these kind of uh, abbreviations that are meant to mean something. Have you come across these in text speak? Well, I've been learning these because I'm hip and trendy, and I'm just going to test you on a few of them. So I'm going to put them up on the screen behind me, and I want to see if you know what they mean or what they stand for. Okay, so can we put the first one up, please? Laugh out loud. Well done. Okay, but if something's really good, what's the next one? Rolling on the floor laughing. So if something's super funny, you can just stick that in with your text. If you suddenly have got no idea what these are, just, I love you, I'm for you, but you're old. Okay, that's just the way it is. Okay, what's next? I love you. I love you. I heart you. Good. Next. Too much information. If you're oversharing, TMI, too much information, didn't need to know that. What's next? Whatever, never mind. Never mind, not interested. If it's getting a bit like, a bit too much, never mind. Move it on. Okay, keep going. I know, right? I know, right? You know, yeah. Okay, keep going. SMH? Some of you are doing it. Shaking my head. You tell me something and I'm just like, there you go, that's what it is. Of course. Well done. And the last one. Oh my God. 
Now, this last one, I just want to zero on it. Oh my God, OMG. This is something that is common. You don't just see it in text. You hear people saying it all the time in television, on movies. It's one of those things that's coming around. And most of the way it's used is actually, from a Christian point of view, not helpful, not good. Considered blasphemous, taking the Lord's name in vain. But actually, as I reflected on this with the teenagers, we're actually the one group of people who can use that phrase correctly. We're the ones who can say, oh my God, in awe and wonder. You are amazing, all the things that you have done. Some of the things we've sang about today, some of the things we've heard testify. We can stand and say, oh my God, that is incredible. Just take your own life. You're a believer here. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, the Bible says. But now you are alive in Christ. Oh my God, how did that happen? That is incredible. That is beyond us. We don't deserve that. The Bible says once upon a time you were a sinner. Now you are a saint. You were once unrighteous. You are now righteous. This is fantastic news. This is wonderful news. We were once hopeless. We are now hopeful of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. This is wonderful news. And we can say, oh my God. Thank you so much for all the amazing things you have done. And what we're going to look at today in this second to last chapter in Joshua is Joshua communicating with the leaders of Israel. We've had 22 chapters. We've had the preparation phase, that first section of the book that we've gone through. We then had the warfare phase where they took the land that was promised to Abraham. We've then had the inheritance phase where they've divided up the land. It's the final kind of coming together of the promises that God gave hundreds of years before and the people can now live in the land and enjoy the goodness and the graciousness of God. And the final two chapters of Joshua are Joshua communicating to the leaders of the people then finally to the people themselves kind of summing up everything that's happened. And what we're going to look at today is how the people can say, oh my God, at your faithfulness, at your goodness, at your mercy on us as a people. So if you found Joshua 23, we're going to read it, and I will read it to you if you don't have your Bible. It says, A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua's old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all those nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and all you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. So it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. 
Very, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnants of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord has given you. And now I'm about to go away of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. All right. That's the section today. Okay, big idea. You, we are called, sorry, to be faithful to God because he has been faithful to us. We are called to be faithful to God because he has been faithful to us. Now, the ver- first few verses here could basically be called many years later. Remember when you watch a film and there's that kind of flash forward, there's this period, this interim, time has passed. They don't bother filling in what happens there, they just take the story to the next section and that's what happens here. Scholars tell us it might be as many as 25 years has passed between the end of chapter 22, the kind of the, the finishing of the inheritance to all the tribes, the dividing up, the, the, um, the cities of refuge, the tribe of Levi, like 25 years, which you imagine is a long time. Reflect back on your life where you were 25 years ago. This huge period of uh, time has gone. Joshua is now speaking to the leaders of Israel. And if you go to that first verse, there's phrases in there that give that indication of time. It says a long time afterwards. It talks about giving rest to Israel. They've had a period of rest. And then Joshua sums it up in his own words. says, I am old and well advanced in years. He is an old man by now. And he is speaking to the people. And he gathers the leaders of Israel describes the elders and the officers, the senior people who have responsibility for the nation. And he is gathering them together to kind of give his final words to them. And those people are the ones responsible for the entire nation. So they can carry significant weight. They're in charge. They're the leaders, government, if you will, under God. And he is speaking to them, gathering together. And so when someone is old and it's almost their, their last words. They carry an extra weight. If you had one final message you were going to give to people, your loved ones, your family, your friends, you would think very carefully about what they were, you would weigh it, and you would hope the people receiving that would take that in that same vein. They would say, this is important, what they're saying. They've thought about their last words. I'm not going to hear from them again. They're going the way of the earth, it said. Joshua's going to die soon. I won't be around anymore, so I need to impart to you something important. And as you are the leaders of the people, you need to take this, you need to weigh this. So what comes next, in Joshua's words to the leaders, is vital for us to kind of take on board, to weigh carefully, to not just dismiss and think, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for our life? What did it mean for Israel as they were in the land and then had this period of rest? 
What's Joshua saying to them? What's direction he's sending them? Because bear in mind, he's been the leader for many, many years. He's taken through this whole conquest. He's remained faithful to God at the whole time. He is a man of caliber, of godliness. And so what he's got to say is worth time and attention. And there are three themes that are kind of woven through his speech. And I'm going to look at each one in turn. They don't come neatly one after the other. They're kind of all parallel through it. And they are God's faithfulness, our faithfulness, then a series of warnings. So the first one, God's faithfulness. This is how Joshua begins, but he also revisits it several more times throughout the speech. So he begins by talking to the, to the people about what God has done for them. He wants to remind them all that the Lord has done. He wants to take them back to their foundation. Take them to back to what's most important. This is what God has done for you. And he particularly focuses on the conquest of the land. But actually he could have taken it back further because they'd been in the wilderness and before there they were slaves in Egypt. And God had brought them out of Egypt under Moses, done incredible things. If you read the book of Exodus, you see all that. But he focuses on the kind of their period, what they can remember, not what they've been told. This is what you've gone through and what he's taken to the land. And he highlights several things that the Lord has done. First one, he highlights the victory that God has won. It says, the Lord has fought for them. But God is the one who has fought for you and won the battles. Yes, they've been involved. We've studied some of them. But behind it all, over it all, the one giving the victory is the Lord himself. You can't take pride in what you've done, he's saying to them. God is the one who brought the victory. Think about the story of Jericho and the battle at Ai and the conquest in the north of the kingdom, the conquest in the south of the kingdom that we looked at. He said, actually, you can't, take, you can't take credit for that. That's not about you. That's about God. He's the one who's brought victory for you. He's the one behind it. He's the one who's earned it. You're not big or strong or mighty. He is. He is the Lord. He is the warrior. He is the one over all things. The second thing he says is, he says, is the inheritance that you have received, the land that you've been living in, this promised land for 25-ish years or so, a long period of time, that all comes from God as well. You haven't earned this land flowing with milk and honey. This one that your parents, grandparents were looking forward to, you're now getting to live in that. Remember when they crossed the Jordan River, they entered the land. It says God's miraculous provision of manna and quail stopped because the land provided it. The land had a great abundance. You could live off the land. You could eat. You could grow your crops, graze your cattle. It was all there. He says God has provided everything for you. Do not forget that. All your provisions, all that you have is there from him. And then he also says, if you look in verse 3, interesting, he says, you're a witness to this. It says, you have seen. He's actually saying to them, this isn't some abstract story that you read about, that someone else told you. You were there. You saw this. They were there when the walls fell at Jericho. That must have left some indelible print on them, marching around it for how many days? Was it six days they marched around it. Then on the seventh day they marched around it seven times. And then what they did? They blew trumpets, and the walls fell down. That's just ridiculous. But they saw it. They probably felt ridiculous. They had to walk around quietly, didn't they? No one said anything. Shh, shh. And they walked around, and then the walls fell down. They saw the Jordan River part, so they could all cross. They saw the sun stand still in the sky, so they could finish the battle. 
They were, you are witnesses. This is something you have seen with your own eyes. Remember this. Focus on this. Do not forget this. Do not, do not let this kind of go out of your mind. And he says that no one can stand against you. There's that kind of thing about it saying, actually, one of you can set a thousand to flight. I don't like those odds. You know, one person against a thousand. I don't care if they're a Jedi knight. They're going to go down, aren't they? There's a thousand of them. But he says, with God with you, one of you can set a thousand to flight. He will fight for you. He will bring you victory, even against numerically superior odds. They can have better weapons, better firepower. It doesn't matter. God is on your side. He will bring victory. Nobody can stand against you. No army, no fortress, no king, nothing. Everything will be destroyed before you. And this is echoes promises that God had given them in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And then finally, to sum it up in verse 14, he basically says, God has kept all his promises. Every single one. It's a theme that runs through the book. God is the promise-keeping God. The God of Israel is one who made promises way back to Abraham. He made them to others down in Abraham's line. He made them to Israel himself, to Moses, to Joshua. I'll be with you. I will fight for you. I will give you victory. I am for you. No one can stand against you. And it says there in verse 14 that they know it deep down in their heart and soul. It says, you know this. You've seen this. You've experienced this. This is why we need to be focused on God and his faithfulness to us. And so Joshua's first kind of message to the leaders is, remember God's faithfulness. Do not forget it. Remind yourself of what happened, what he's done. I imagine as they were sitting there, as he's saying these things, incidents are coming to mind. Maybe they haven't thought about them for a while. They've had 25 years of kind of relative peace. He's like, actually, oh yeah, I remember that battle. We won that. God defeated that enemy. God done everything he promised he would do. And there we are. And Joshua knows we're dull. Joshua knows people are dull and stupid and they forget. Life crowds in. It can either be the, sort of the, the worries of life can crowd in, but even just as effectively can the good things of life crush in. They, they've had a good time now. They've had peace. They've had prosperity. Everything's going well. The, fl- the milk and the honey are flowing. And he's saying, well, just remember all that God has done. Don't let the good things that God has done to you you kind of outweigh that it's actually God who brings it. And the reality is we're no different. Human nature, humans haven't changed over the intervening hundreds, thousands of years. We need to be people who are reminded regularly what God has done for us. We need to be people who are constantly in a position to be reminded of God's faithfulness and goodness and mercy and grace to us. And so our challenge is today, as we read this, is what are you doing to remember God's goodness and faithfulness to you? What things are in your life to put you in a position to talk and think and dwell on God's goodness and faithfulness? How can that happen? How does that, what does that look like? How could we do that? Well, number one, it starts with reading God's Word because that is the story of God's faithfulness to His people from start to end. Our focus as a church this year is we're saying we want to be reading our Bibles daily and we've talked about that and we've come back to that and we've done resources and all those things. But that's how you're doing on that. How you're going with that. We're just getting into God's Word on a daily basis, reading it, thinking about it, studying it, understanding it, making it part of your routine and your rhythm. Because when you're doing that... 
It's going to remind you of what God has done to you. It's going to remind you of his faithfulness. What about attendance on church on Sunday? Every week we sing and we talk about the goodness and the grace of God. Are you making a priority of being here, being part of God's gathered people of this church? Or if you're part of another church, that church. doesn't matter which, but you're there in the Sunday, in the congregation, listening, learning, singing the songs, getting that truth in your soul, listening to the preached word, thinking, yeah, I need to kind of be reminded of this on a daily basis because I forget life crowds in. What about attendance in a small group we have our life groups here are you getting plugged into there because we have opportunities there regularly to talk to one another to pray for one another to share stories of what God is doing building one up we share bread and wine there weekly so we're reminded every week of what God has done it's the sacrifice of Christ for us his death on the cross his subsequent resurrection ascension into heaven and one day he's coming back And we keep sharing it until he comes back and then we have it with him forever in glory. We do that. Are you connecting in? Are you making this part of your life as a believer? What about in your kind of just general day-to-day life? Are you reminding yourself constantly of what God has done? It was funny. We were at this New Day festival just this week and we went to some meetings with the kids. And in the morning... They had a series of talks that one of the guys was giving about kind of the state of humanity and he talked about us, how we are made in the image of God. Then he talked about the next day about our fallenness. And on the third day, he talked about us, how we've now been raised to life with Christ. I don't know what they were going to do on the fourth day because we came home, but it was good stuff. And there was a point when he asked the young people, do you want to become Christians? Do you want to have this experience? And after the meeting, we had a chat, some of the, the youth leaders, and I overheard them. They were saying, do you know what? I wanted to get saved again. I, I heard the truth again. And I almost I wanted to stand up. I've been Christian years. I know what it means to follow Jesus. I know what his truth is. But having heard it afresh, I almost want to say, can I stand up again? Don't come pray. I'm fine. Go and pray for a young person. But I, I, I want to acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Do we preach the gospel to yourselves? That's the number one person you should be telling the good news of Jesus to. You. To make sure you get it. You're reminded of it. Every day, God save me. I don't deserve this. I haven't earned it. I was dead in my trespass and sin. But God has now raised me to life in Christ. What wonderful news that is. I am now a saint. I am holy and righteous. I have an eternity that is secure. I have the Holy Spirit in me who will be with me all my days. Strengthening me, leading me, guiding me, guarding me, producing the fruit in me. I'm clothed in the armor of God that I can stand against whatever comes. What wonderful news. Are you preaching that to yourselves? What about things that have happened in your life? Just like we had there with Abel came and shared about his story, about his visa coming through. It's good to have those stories. It's good to remind yourself of those stories. It's good to write them down. And then you can go back and reflect on them. You get a time like this, go back. Have you got old journals, old bits where you've written stuff? Dig them out. Look at them. Look what God has done in my life. Look how he's come through again and again and again and again. How he's never let me down. He's always been faithful provided what I need in terms of people or finances or opportunities or jobs or whatever. He's been there. Are we people who are making sure that we are, number one, reminded of the faithfulness and the goodness and the grace of God? And Joshua is saying to the people, you need to remember this. And I'm saying it to you today. We need to be people who remember this. Let's go on, number two. The second theme that runs through that is our faithfulness, the people's faithfulness in response. So he, he makes a point of saying it's all about God, 
and what he's done and the God of Israel has been faithful to his promises and we live in the goodness of that. But out of that, we are to respond. We are to be a faithful people. We're not, we're not trying to earn it. We're not trying to say you need to work hard, but it's actually on the foundation of what Jesus has done. You stand and from there, we respond in faithfulness to him. And what does he say? He says to them, if you go to the beginning of verse 6 and you actually look in verse 11, it's got the same word twice, which is therefore. It's as a result of. It's not, it doesn't come first, it comes second. It's the flow out of. So therefore, he says, what do he say? He says, therefore, number one, be strong. This is a positive command. Be strong. And it echoes what God said to Joshua way back in chapter 1. You remember right at the very first part of this sermon series? Look at chapter 1. And God said to Joshua, you're about to go into the land. It's scary. They're big. But don't worry. He says, be strong and courageous. He says, stick to my word. Read my word. I will be with you. And Joshua now at the end of his life, having seen God do that, passes on the same message to the people, to the leaders. You be strong. Be strong in God. Follow what is written down in the law of Moses, which for them would have been the first five books of the Bible. What they'd have got from that. Be strong in that. Follow the commands. Follow the laws. Stay on to it. Do not go off course. Keep it close to you. Keep reading it. Keep dwelling on it. Keep thinking about it. Then he says a negative command. He says, do not mix. So he says, be strong, positive. Do not mix. is negative. And he's basically saying, do not let yourself be influenced by the cultures uh, around you. These are the ones that have driven out the land. And we've talked about these pagan cultures where they were into child sacrifice, sexual immorality, worshipping false gods, everything that kind of came around there. He says, do not get involved in that. Do not go near that. Stay well away from them. Because if you get involved in them, bad things are going to happen. And it was an ongoing problem for Israel. It happened before they'd entered the promised land. We've seen that. It was in Peor, which was meant, we referenced in the last sermon. In Numbers 25, where they got involved and judgment came on the people and it was terrible. Even when they got into the promised land, there was a problem. Where Achan sinned and he took some of the stuff devoted to God from Jericho. Judgment came in and it was terrible again. And unfortunately, if you follow the history of Israel, it's something that just dogs them all the days of their life. In the judges period, there's more of this. Solomon's downfall. King Solomon he actually split the kingdom. And you go on, the, the, the northern kingdom ultimately was destroyed. The southern kingdom was ultimately destroyed because of this. And Joshua sees the danger and he's saying, stay away from it. Do not mix with it. Go, run away, leave it, push it out, drive it out. Do not be involved in there. Then he says another positive command in verse 8. So he's saying, be strong, stay away from that. And this one he says, cling to. He uses this word. And the idea is it's almost like glue. Cling to, grab hold to, stick to what God has called you to. Be joined inseparably. Connected. That's what you do to everything God has done. Do not go after that, but be clinging to the Lord your God. All his ways, all his commandments. That you are to stick like glue to them. Because if you're sticking like glue to that, you're not going to go after these things. If you're strong and courageous, you're not going to get mixed up in dodgy things that are going on. And then in verse 11, he does a really short statement which kind of sums it up. And if you're one of those underliners in your Bible, this is kind of the heart of what Joshua's speech is to his people. And it simply says this. He says, B 
be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. That's what it boils down to. If you love God, if your heart is for Him, you're going to be okay. You're not going to want to mix with those things. You're going to go after His Word. You're going to cling to Him. You're going to stick to Him. And that's what it boils down to. And it echoes what's written earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, which Jesus Himself identified later as the greatest commandment. What did He say? It says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so Joshua's just echoing what Jesus then explicitly says later. This is the greatest commandment. It's all about loving God. It's all about following Him. It's all about having your heart after Him. Because if your heart is after Him, your heart is not going to be after false worship, pagan gods, all that that is doing. And so... My question to us today, to you today, is how are you doing in loving Jesus? How are you doing in loving Jesus? Because following Jesus as a Christian should have an emotional dynamic. It should stir your affections. There should be something about it that kind of gets down in you and has an emotional connection. And this is coming from a man (laughs) who doesn't do emotions and is an extreme introvert and kind of just doesn't connect with that. People sobbing and I want to run away from those things. I don't do hugging, don't try and hug me or anything like that. But actually, when it comes to loving God, all that goes out the window. When we understand the depths of what God has done for us, and where we've been, and where we now are, we should be overcome with praise. We should be overcome with worship. We should be overcome with thankfulness, and just pouring out our praises to Him. It's something that should connect us. It's something that should lift our spirits. As we gather as the people of God, and we sing together, there should be some kind of emotional lift we get, Because we are praising our God and we are recognizing and publicly declaring all that He has done. As we read our Bibles and as we we connect with them, and actually this is the truth that's written and it affects me, there should be some kind of stirring in our hearts. It shouldn't be cold, dead words on a page. Because the Bible's living, it's active, it's a word, it connects with us. It should connect with our souls. It should sometimes bring brokenness and repentance and tears because we're just undone at our sin and what's happened. Maybe how we've offended and fallen short. It should cause us to rise and scream and shout His name and say, thank you God, thank you God for all that you've done and everything in between. We should mourn with those who mourn but we should laugh with those who laugh and we should just be just people who are so emotional when it comes to God. And how much we should worship it. And so when we talk about loving God, what's, how are you doing? How are you doing with your love for God? Because everything we've said beforehand in the previous little bit of application should be connecting emotionally with you. As you read your Bible, as you reflect on what God's done, as you meet with His people, as you share bread and wine, as you listen to the Word of God, there should be an emotional connection with you. What about mixing? He says very clearly, do not mix 
with other people's. Are, is there a danger in your life? Are you mixing with others? Are there things in your life that you are mixing with that you know you shouldn't be? Are there things that you're going to that you shouldn't be going to? Are there things that you're watching that you shouldn't be watching? Because Josh is very clear. Stay away from that. Stay away from that. Are there things in your heart now that even now the Spirit is kind of reminding you of thinking, actually, you shouldn't be involved in that. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be talking to those people. You shouldn't be going to those places or doing those things or thinking those things. Because he's very clear on that, which comes to our third and final section, (laughs) the bad news. Warnings. So many warnings. Joshua puts this in because he's Remind them of the faith of God. He's reminding them that you need to be faithful in return. But it's also, he's not going to shy away from the hard stuff and say, actually, there are consequences for sin if you choose to forsake the Lord your God, if you choose to turn your back on him. And it actually says, if you look at the beginning of verse 12, what's the word it uses there that we've used already? It says, if you turn your back and you cling to the remnants of these nations. So there are obviously some of those nations still in the land. They haven't driven them all out, which would become a problem for them as the people. If you choose to cling to them, if you choose to stick to them like glue, rather than the Lord your God, which is a choice you can make, bad things are going to happen. If you cling to these other nations, you're going to get involved in them. You're going to get associated with them. And he uses horrifically graphic language to describe what's going to happen. The first thing he says is, it's going to be a snare or a trap. That's what they'll be like to you. What does that mean? Well, a trap is to, is to catch the unsuspecting. And a trap is baited. So something is there that looks alluring, looks good. Something that is pleasing to the eye. Something that makes you want it. And you're like, oh, that looks great. I think I'll go there. That relationship, that situation, that person. And you walk in and then suddenly the trap is sprung and you are caught. And you are stuck and you are snared and you are then held there. Because what was good actually turns out to not be so good once you've taken it. It's like the the, the hook on the bait for the fish. The fish goes, oh, yummy, eats it and then suddenly there's a hook in their mouth and you can pull them out of the water and it's not going to go well for them. It also then goes on to say, it will be like whips on your side. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means whips are to beat people into subservience, to beat the unwilling. So as if you go after them, it will be like a whip. They will beat you into doing what they want you to do. So you'll be caught, then you'll be beaten, and you'll be forced into this pattern of behavior and acting a certain way. And then finally, it says it will be like thorns in your eyes. Oh, piercing your eyes. How horrible and painful that. What does that mean? Blindness. You'll be spiritually blind. You won't even be able to see what you're doing. So if you go after them, if you cling to them, you're going to get caught, you're going to get beaten and controlled into a particular way of acting and ultimately you will be blind and you won't be able to see the truth even when it's right in front of you. What a horrible place to be. And the result of that is that they'd end up dying and losing the land, which, if you know the story of the people of God, is exactly what happened. They chose to cling. And Joshua's doing this warning, saying, don't go there, but unfortunately we know what happened. And then the last bit, in verses 15 and 16, it says judgment would come upon you. 
there will be consequences to your sin. Sin has consequences. If you forsake God and you, go, you break his rule, you go, there are things that are going to come upon you. It's just the way it is. And God had been very clear to the people of God. If you go back to Deuteronomy 28, he actually outlines the blessings for obedience and the curses for unfaithfulness, for disobedience. Really kind of clear. They're horrible to read. The, good, the blessings are great. Yeah, I'll have that. The, the curses are pretty graphic. And he's saying to them, if you choose to do this, judgment will come upon them, which ultimately means you will lose the land. You'll be exiled, you'll be defeated by your foes, you'll be enslaved by them, and you'll be removed from this great gift God has given you, which is just horrible. And so for us today, kind of as we finish, we need to bear the weight of that warning. Enjoy the faithfulness of God. Be strong in our commitment to his faithfulness. But at the same time, realize that there are very real warnings here. We studied the book of Hebrews not so long about, and they're written again in the New Testament, very real warnings to pull us up short in life choices we make. And so what are we going to do with that now? Well, if you're not a believer here, if you're not a Christian, you're a guest here, it's lovely to have you with us today. I want to put that out to you, that you are under God's judgment for all the things you've done that have wrong, all the ways you've disobeyed him, the fact that you've belittled him, the fact that you have acknowledged him as the one true God over heaven and earth. That's the bad news. The good news is he loves you and he wants to know you. The good news is he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. The good news is Jesus lived the life you can't live and he died the death you should have died. And he rose from death victorious and he offers you today, if you have faith and trust in him, you can turn from your sin and you can follow him all the days of your life and you can know what it means to have hope and life and faith and be forgiven and have a father in heaven who loves you and if that's you I'd love to chat with you at the end and what that means and all that that's involved if you're a Christian here the good news is the consequences of our sin have been dealt with in Christ on the cross that's wonderful news we are forgiven not because we're smart or good, or better than anyone else, but because God is faithful, and he has saved us. That being said, we still have the presence of sin in our life. We still have it around us. It hasn't been completely removed, not yet. It will do one day. And we still have a walk to walk, and we are exhorted throughout the New Testament to stay close to God. Even the Old Testament there, stay close to God. Follow Jesus. Stick to him. Flee from all these things that are going on in our life. And so I just want to come back to that. And actually, the warnings are real. Are there things in your life that you need to deal with? Are there traps and snares and whips and thorns that you're playing with that are ultimately going to kill your faith? Are ultimately going to drive you from following Jesus? Are ultimately going to push you away from his people? What are they? Are there things at work that are coming up, ethical questions that you're trying to play with and actually how you treat the boss and your colleagues and clients and customers and stuff that you're actually getting involved in that you need to just get away from it. Heed the warning today. Are there money situations that you're playing with things and doing things with your money that just are not right? Taking things that aren't yours. Do you need to deal with that? Stop that now. What about in the area of sex and relationships? Are you connecting yourselves with people 
who don't love Jesus, who don't follow Jesus. One of the big problems for Israel is where they intermarried with those of other nations. And that's not an ethnic thing. That was a direction. That was a worship thing. They worship false gods. They will drive you away from it. They will take your heart away, which is exactly what happened with leader after leader in God's kingdom, particularly Solomon, who was one of the wisest men who ever lived, but he completely blew it in this area. Are you doing things in that area that you need to stop now? Is it just laziness? <laughs> you know, and th- you're just like, you just, I can't be bothered. And just, you just, it's not, you just don't think it's important. It's not a priority in your life. There's so many other things I'd rather be doing right now. I wish this dude would just shut up and move on. You know, we're going to land the plane any day, preacher. You know, I'm warning you now, deal with it. And the good news is you can deal with it right here, right now. All it takes is confession acknowledging what you've done, acknowledging your sin, repentance, turn away from it, say, no, this is not for me, I don't want to do this, put your faith in trust in Christ to receive forgiveness that he freely offers, that we can be clean and we can follow him. And then we just walk in the light of that. And if that's you, we can just deal with it right now. And we're going to do that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And we're going to land. So do you want to just stand up the band, and I just want to just recap what we've done and then lead us in a little moment and then we're going to worship God. Joshua, and behind him, Jesus, is speaking to us today. He's putting something out to us as a church and saying, have you got this today? Number one, have you got that God is faithful God is there. He has done so much for you. Are you aware of that? Are you living in the light of that? Are you, are you thankful for that? Are you responding to that by choosing to follow Him, put your faith and trust in Him in all the areas of your life, even when things are going well, even when things are going bad? Now, are you even trusting Him with your mess and your sin? Because even that's an act of trust and faithfulness to go to God and say, sorry, I'm in a mess. I've messed up, I've done this, I got involved with this, I need to deal with it. That's just an act of faithfulness. Are you aware of the consequences of playing with some of the things you're playing with? It's like fire. It will burn you, it will destroy you, it will destroy your homes, it will destroy your relationships, it will destroy your family ultimately. And if that's you, let's do this in reverse order. We're going to look at Repentance and first, and then we're going to be reminded of God's faithfulness as we worship and the fact that he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if you know there are things in your life you need to deal with, maybe you just all close your eyes. Then no one's watching you, they're dealing with their own thing. I want you to bring it before God now. I want you to confess it and acknowledge it and name it and do it specifically, not like, you know, I was a bit, you know, name, I did this, I said this, I'm acting in this thing. Once you've done that, confess your sins, acknowledge it, point at it, repent, say, God, I'm sorry for it. I, I want to turn away from it. I want to walk a different direction. And then look to the cross and say, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you, God. And I'm going to receive your forgiveness for what I've done. Because Jesus said, I freely forgive it. All you've got to do is confess your sin, turn from me, and I freely give it. 
and then lift your eyes even higher and you see Christ seated on a throne in heaven ruling and reigning in splendor saying I'm for you I love you I've got you one day you will be with me forever and just start to praise him maybe you wanted to start doing that just start speaking out your praises to God thankfulness that he saved you thankfulness for what he's done in your life thankfulness for how he's moved you from darkness to light thankfulness for the ways he's provided for you brought you to this place where you are now